Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash canadaland to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work or a store to sell your products and services, a blog to share your ideas, whatever, Squarespace gives you everything you need to make your next move a reality. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter the offer code CANADALAND to get 10% off of your first purchase. I don't speak sports. I'm not bragging. I wish that I did really like when I am at an airport bar and some sports thing is playing on the television overhead and some other dad like human approaches me and assumes that I am a man like him and is open and friendly and says, Hey, what's the score? I wish I could tell him. Maybe we could have been friends. If I could speak sports, I would be able to cover sports journalism as a media critic, which I cannot do, even though I am asked to do so all of the time. And I totally understand why. That part of sports, at least, I get. I get why so many sports fans want me to take a close look at sports coverage in Canada. Like, if you are a sports reporter for Sportsnet TV or for sports radio, the fan in Toronto or Calgary, then you work for Rogers. You know who else works for Rogers? The Blue Jays. Also, the Leafs, the Raptors, Toronto FC. They all work for Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment, 75% of which is owned by Rogers and Bell. Bell, of course, is also an owner of the Toronto Argonauts and used to be an owner of the Globe and Mail. And Bell owns CTV and the Sports Network. And it's not just that you have the same companies owning the teams and the media that report on those teams. The same companies also own the stadiums that the teams play in and the channels that both the games and the reporting about those games are broadcast on. So if you are looking for conflicts of interest that might inhibit independent reporting and criticism, well, Canadian sports, Toronto sports in particular, 
that might be where a media critic would start. But I don't speak sports. So I'm going to need some help. We have today an amazing panel of sports journalists, and all three of them are ready to talk about what is wrong with sports media in Canada. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Jan Wong, Yvonne Haste, Mark Belosimjak, Douglas Scott, Tabitha Southey, Neil McFadgen, Guy Landry, and Ron Morgan. Ron, why did you decide to be awesome? Because I really like the podcast comments. I like how it's creating a dialogue between all types of Canadians, and it just breaks down the barriers of divisiveness that politics seems to have uh, gotten into over the past few years. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away, but often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode also comes to you from Squarespace. Whether you need a portfolio to showcase your work, a store to sell your products and services, or a blog to share your ideas, or you know what, if you have a website already... And it's nothing but headaches for you. Every time you need to update it, if there are technical problems, if the internet evolves and your website doesn't and you paid for it years ago and now you got to go back and call up the person who made it for you and try to somehow... Stop. Move your website to Squarespace. Use one of their beautiful templates. They give you everything you need to make your next move into a reality. The templates, the features, they are all customizable. Creating a beautiful website is simple and intuitive. You just add and arrange your content, and then it just works forever. They update it all the time. They look after any technical problem you have with incredible best-in-class support 24-7. So you're not simply buying a website. You are buying a service that keeps your website up and current and working, and it will always plug in. It always plays nicely with whatever other service you're using. If you're selling stuff through Amazon or Shopify, whatever you're doing, if you're hosting files, sound somewhere else, all of it is going to work very well with your Squarespace site because that's what they do. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and do not forget to enter the offer code CanadaLand. You will get 10% off of your first purchase. Finally, this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks, our founding sponsor, the company that helped us start Canada Land. We have gotten bigger, they have gotten a lot bigger, and their service has gotten a lot better and more robust. And you know what? It is a new season coming. The fall is here. You might be having that sense of like, this is, I'm going to take some time. I'm going to do it right. Get back to work. Get back to work with FreshBooks. Start 
using a professional tool. Treat yourself seriously. Have some respect. Why don't you? And use FreshBooks, not just for your invoicing, not just for your time tracking, not just for your estimates, not just to log your receipts, but as your mission control so that your freelance practice, your small business has one spot where you can check in and make sure that everything is running smoothly. You could figure out what is coming in. You could figure out who's paying you quicker. You can get paid quicker. You can save time. It is an invaluable tool for small businesses and freelancers. Try it. It's free to try it. You don't even have to give them a credit card. 30-day free trial at freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. When you do decide to become a customer, after trying it out for 30 days, I'm confident that you will. Over 5 million people and businesses around the world have made that decision. When you make that decision, tell them that CanadaLand sent you. You will be doing the show a favor. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Have a look. Give it a whirl. I'm Richard Whittall. I used to be a full-time sports freelancer in the soccer sphere, I guess. And uh, I was also editor at Paste Magazine for their soccer section. And I'm... I've written for uh, The Atlantic, The New Yorker, New York Times, a bunch of uh, The Guardian. I, I used to do MLS coverage for. And I used to work three for three years. I was a features writer at the, at the score and editor, I guess. Yeah. My name's James Myrtle. Uh, I'm the editor at The Athletic Toronto, which is a new sports startup in the city and um, just expanded into Montreal. And we're going to be expanding into more Canadian cities soon. Uh, I spent 11 and a half years at the Globe and Mail, mostly covering hockey and Toronto Maple Leafs. Morgan Campbell, I'm a sports reporter at the Toronto Star. I cover, uh, what do I cover? I cover the business of sport. I cover some baseball. I write a lot of features. Uh, and I write about pugilism, which means I'm the guy writing about this ridiculous fight between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor. So there we go. Welcome. Guys, I don't speak sports. <laughs> so I'm going to need a lot of help today. And I guess a place to start is sort of if there is a problem in sports journalism in Canada, Maybe we could start by trying to diagnose it. And the first question I have, and what strikes me just as a journalist looking at this space, let's say you're a sports journalist for a Rogers-owned media organ. You could be reporting on a Rogers-owned team that plays in a Rogers-owned stadium and your paychecks are signed by Rogers. I can't think of any other aspect of journalism, uh, any other area that is as conflicted, that contains that many conflicts of interest. How could a journalist possibly do their jobs objectively? That strikes me as a recipe for problems. Uh, Does it play out that way? Not on the surface. I mean, in some ways, it's, you know, depending on the type of story you're writing, it can be a reporter's dream because basically you have unfettered access to any, I mean, idealistically you have unfettered access to any player or or manager or whomever you want to speak to. But yeah, I mean, clearly we haven't hit a point where there's been a major scandal within a team or, you know, some some issue where there would be a massive journalistic interest or someone from, you know, a media organization who, you know, is connected. I mean, you can sort of write those caveats in any article that you write to say that obviously there's a clear, massive conflict of interest here and still report on it anyways. But I don't know what kind of discussions are being had. But I think it's like, I think the question to me is like, what's not being reported? What are we not seeing? Like, what are we not thinking about? Because, you know, uh, a huge, huge portions of broadcast media are reporting on the teams they effectively own. So I think that's what people probably don't think as much about. And I, it sort of, to me, seems like the bigger issue. What do you all think, though? As sports journalists, you know the stories that don't get reported. You're in touch with people who are in these positions. Do, do they feel a chill? Do they know there are certain questions you can't ask? I don't know. Like when I cover baseball, it's it, I don't get that. From the guys that work for sports now, I don't get the impression that uh, Rogers is telling them exactly what to write and what not to write. And it's tough to, 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 to talk about this conflict of interest in the abstract without, even by extension, like impugning like all of these individuals that work there, right? And, and I'm not ready to question anybody's ethics because we all came up together as journalists, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, as Richard said, the test is when there's like a scandal. Some Blue Jays guy tests positive for steroids. Well, no, some Blue Jays guy did test positive for steroids last year, right? How do you cover it, right? Are we going to make excuses for Chris Colabello? But I don't think you have to be in Rogers to write the Chris Colabello apology story. Look at Kevin Pillar. Like we all as a group in the media contributed to the reha- rehabilitation of Kevin Pillar's image in ways that we didn't contribute or even try to contribute to the rehabilitation of you know Escobar's image um, under a similar set of circumstances right so you don't have to you don't have to work for Rogers to do that because people will do it 
Any specific reference to an athlete will have to be contextualized for my purposes. <laughs> okay, so Kevin Pillar was the guy that uh, called an opponent, um, an opposing pitcher, uh, a homophobe, homophobic slur. Uh-huh. And you know that Escobar is the Cuban-American, the Cuban player who played for the Blue Jays who ca- took the field basically wearing eye black that had uh, the Spanish version if you're translating like literally word for word of that same slur on his eye black and someone took a picture of it and the poop hit the fan right but two different sets of reactions but the point is you didn't have to have worked for rogers to contribute in the rehabilitation of kevin pilar's image after this scandal Uh uh-huh so rogers might be flexing its muscle on its on its reporters but in terms of you know people going out of their way to give guys good coverage you don't have to work for rogers to do that to Richard's point about, oh, it can be great for access, like I'm sure that working for Russian state TV gets you great access to Putin. <laughs> Does it play out that way as well? If you're so, And just to orient me, Sportsnet is Rogers. Yes. And yes. Blue Jays, that's Rogers. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're for Sportsnet, do you have better access to the Blue Jays than if you're for a rival, if you're reporting for a rival organization? Like, I, I don't want to say, like, say explicitly, but it's clear that like a lot of, you know, like with Sportsnet Magazine, they're getting, you know, it's a lot easier for someone who works under the Sportsnet umbrella to to get access to a Rogers own property but yeah. but the also point you have to think about is like sp- the way that sports is going now access to players I don't know how much value there is still but it's still really important to get access to people connected to teams on the record that's difficult for everyone cuz teams are getting more protective they're they're starting to sort of see they don't want to give away internal scoops that they can use for their own social media marketing to reporters so they're really protective now of their players managers you know I think a lot more than they used to be and so I think it's not just Obviously, there's a clear conflict of interest there as well, but it's even there for people who are not affiliated with the media organization that owns a team, because uh, I think those people are also worried that if they start reporting on a team critically, all those all those routes of access are going to be cut off. It's this weird situation where we treat sports like it's politics, like these their politicians have a public duty to speak to the press. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't like sports are like, well, we're companies, we're private, you know, we're privately owned. Like, what, what obligation do we own to the media? We used to owe them that obligation when they owned all the channels of media to the public. So you had to talk to the media or else you, your team wasn't getting covered in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. But now they, they hire their own writers, they have their own social media channels, they do their own videos. There's no impetus for them to sort of, you know, be forthright with, with reporters on the outside. So. And they're monetizing that access that they've got. That's yeah. yeah. So that's going to happen more and more and more where it's harder for the media to get access to the athletes and the GMs and all that. And they're putting it on their own site and they've got MLB Advanced Media is now running the NHL websites for all of the teams and making revenue off of that. And that's become part of their business model to grow. But it, like to go back to what Richard said, I think it's the stuff that, especially in hockey, what doesn't get covered is what's really stands out. Things like you look at the NHL concussion lawsuit where there's hundreds of former players that are suffering from, you know, all kinds of um, degenerative brain diseases and things like that. And they've got this lawsuit against the NHL. The way that Sportsnet has covered that, which has the rights package, and the way TSN has covered that, which does not have the rights package, has been night and day. It's completely different. So things like that stand out. The way that a lockout gets covered, where mm-hmm. the players are pitted against the league, it, it the way that that gets covered by the broadcast organizations that are closer to the league than the papers and websites cover it, it you can really see the difference there. It's interesting. It's not just a question of message control and trying to avoid scandals, but if someone's going to have a big scoop, it might as well be the same company. So you're going to give that kind of access to your own. Yeah, we're seeing more and more that teams are breaking breaking trades on their Twitter account or their own website, and they'll have right. link, they'll have a link ready to go, as opposed to leaking it out to a journalist, which is what the way it would have happened in hockey anyway, four or five years ago. Right. So again, the po- the political uh, analogy, the same way that politicians are just yes. le- leapfrogging the press and controlling their message throughout their own throughout yes. their own channels. So in diagnosing the problem, like. Am I on the right track here? Like, what is the, the, the if, if if there's a problem with sports media as the mainstream is, is covering it? There are a lot of problems. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, <laughs> are we on the right you track start? here? Or, that's, yeah. one, that's one of them. Yeah. I mean, you know, like. Uh, I would what, argue that's even, that's one of the smaller problems, right? Yeah. Like, as, as, as a consumer of sports media, it doesn't really bother me that a team website tweeted out news of some trade 10 minutes before some reporter was able to do it. That doesn't bother. It's just me, the beginning right? of a yes. trend, right? Yes, I think you're right, though. I, you know, but there, there again, what what bothers me more is the the scenario you just laid out, right? Where people who should be objective journalists and like hard hitting journalists are playing nice with the league because 
in, in a situation maybe where the league is wrong, like if we're talking about concussion suits and reporters who should be objective are carrying the league's water because of a business deal between my bosses and the league's bosses. That bothers me a lot more than Blue Jays tweeting a trade before Richard Griffin gets to tweet news of the trade. I mean, it feels like everything in sports media, from an outsider's perspective, plays by a different rule book. You talk about objectivity. I can't think of anything else where, like, journalists openly take sides, mm. right? Like, that just seems to be you local journalists will. They're not supposed to. Yeah. I mean, we're not. Don't, I don't know. If, I don't think everybody does that. Like, I don't want to. I mean, just in sports casting, isn't that? Well, there's the also a difference. Well, there's a difference between being objective and being fair. You don't necessarily have to be objective as long as you're fair. I think. Sports fans in each local market, especially when you're watching on television, expect a certain degree of homerism. Um, and then we in North America, we act like homerism. People should never be homers when in the rest of the world, it's a little bit more expected. Like I remember the soccer guy, the 2007 U20 World Cup here in in, in uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. And during the finals, Argentina is playing, I think, the Czech Republic. There's all these Argentine journalists and Argentina gets a goal. All these Argentine journalists start cheering. And so here's these PR flags saying, hey, guys, no cheering in the press box. And the mm-hmm. Argentine guys are like, why? Argentina just scored. Of course right. we're going to yeah, cheer. Yeah, it's definitely right? a cultural thing. Like, I remember that in LA Galaxy game. I think they were playing a team from, you know, Central America. And the, the visiting press, they were just like, they were just celebrating openly. And yeah. I remember we were turning around like, okay. So I think I think it's a cultural thing as well. But, but to the point earlier, I think everyone understands that like the way that journalists cover these players whether or not they're affiliated with the media organization that's like you know financially connected to the team there is some favoritism going there but the, the difference is now is that there's also this huge massive you know fan culture blogging culture where you know like i used to work with andrew stoughton who sort of his bread and butter was was picking on media figures who were <laughs> way too basically sympathetic to teams where they mm. should be more critical and so uh, whereas before those voices you know you couldn't find them at all now they're everywhere and so um but that ties into this whole other problem of like there's so much content saturation that you know it's i think it's driving down the value of, of all the news because it's just you know if you don't like one what run reporters saying you don't trust them you can go to someone else and you know and they might not have the access that the other person does but but it's slightly, slightly more balanced. So anyway. I, I mean, it's like this multifaceted space where you've got your kind of breaking news reporters in the, in the form of telling you, calling a game. Right. But then you've got an investigative side, but you've also got the punditry. Yeah. And I have to imagine as it's affected everything else, like what Don Cherry was in a way like the original block, like that that kind of <laughs> attitude. So now anybody can do that, right? Yeah. So you can, you can pick your opinionated... And the thing is in sports, like there's a limited amount of things you can cover. Like it's not like the wider world of news, like literally anything could be newsworthy. There's always a scoop somewhere. There's always some angle to some niche you can pick on. And in sports, yeah, there's definitely niches. Like James and I are more interested in the analytics side. There are people who are interested in, you know, more niche sports. Um, but within sports itself, you're looking at game events. You're tending to get the same quotes from the same players, the same people. It tends to be boilerplate. Anyone who's watched, you know, an NHL broadcast knows how, you know, post post game quotes go. So I think uh, the problem is that there's like everyone wants to write in sports. Everyone wants to produce sports content. Everyone want to make wants to make a living wage from it. And there's only so many sources of stories to go around, you know? Right. I think what Jesse's talking about, the rules are different in sports. I think the reason that is, is that the audience expectation is different in sports. There are a lot of readers that don't want critical coverage of their team. There are a lot of readers. Yeah. They have a different, exp- you know, they don't, they don't want, not every fan wants their organization to be held accountable. They, they're. They're homers. They're fans. Like right. That, you know, that's so it's, it's not like there are fans of like the national legislature or something and then they don't want any critical coverage because they love. I mean, there are people that's that are exactly that. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Though? Like in sports, it is way more pronounced where a huge. It's acceptable partisanship because that's what it is to be a sports fan is that you're a partisan. That's what they you, want. You want somebody to win the, and somebody to in lose. In the coverage, a lot of people want that. You know, yeah. I'm someone who's very critical of the team when they make mistakes and I get a lot of blowback for that, whereas I don't know that that necessarily. Okay. Now I'm told that it's not just a matter of teams just controlling their own message through their own social media channels, but even like top writers leaving news outlets to write for the teams. Yep. The league, the NHL has hired tons of writers. Baseball has hired tons of mm-hmm. writers. Yeah. So this is the same trend we're seeing everywhere else with like brands saying, well, everyone's just trying to make the media obsolete and earned media obsolete. Why should we be mm-hmm. dependent on these journalists for coverage or for exposure? So they're just, they're making their own content and they're doing it with, with. They see money. They see revenue opportunity. Uh-huh. They see revenue growth in that. Yeah. They can cannibalize. The papers are struggling so much. And the papers were kind of the bedrock of the sports writing in, you know, especially in the U.S. 
and especially in hockey, they've hired all basically a lot of the good hockey writers are now working for the NHL. Okay, so that sounds like a a, a pretty broad array of problems and, and discontents, but you're saying that it's sort of acceptable in a lot of ways. And you're saying that even when you go the other way and are critical, some, you get blowback. So, so James, you have basically staked a claim on doing something different and saying that, and I'm imagining that the athletic is a response to these problems. And well, I mean, the globe, we were independent as well. I mean, we didn't have affiliations to any, we weren't owned by any Rogers or would, you know, it's when it was, when the globe mill was bell globe media. Yeah. They, I think they had a 20% minority ownership and like we, they literally never came to us and talked to us about anything or, or editors or their editors. It just, was there any benefit to it? Was there any extra access that that came with? No, I think maybe before I started, maybe like a long time ago when bell first came aboard, they were thinking of some kind of a partnership with TSN or something like that, where some, anyway, but okay, so so why did you start? I mean, uh, and, and we should orient people. You're an uh, entrepreneur, former f- former sports journalist for a major mainstream media company who's started your own thing, and it's directly subscription-based, online sports news. Yes. So why'd you do it? The short answer is because it feels like sports sections and newspapers are fading away and dying, and the amount of people that are working in the sports media in Canada, especially in print, is shrinking every year. You know, I mean, Richard can attest to how hard it is to make a living as a sports writer now. I, everyone knows that print media has been decimated across the country, but I think sports has been even more so because a lot of publications look at it and say, this isn't integral to what we do. This isn't investigative news. This isn't so. And same trends as everywhere else. People just doing it for free when it comes to, the, to, to a lot of the commentary, communities popping up, people getting that. that. I think there's even more of that in sports than anywhere else because the, the you get those hardcore fans that are willing to put tons of time and effort okay, so into Okay, so you got that. that on one hand, and then on the other hand, you got the teams taking away some of the just basic information right aspects of it and the papers are some of them not all of them obviously but some of them are saying you know we can't compete i mean the global mail sports section when i started there was massive it was 27 people if you include all the editing desk and everybody and now it's four or five people yeah i mean that's the change in 11 12 years i mean the only time i ever got close to reading uh, a sports publication was grantland <laughs> which was sort of the culture of sports and everybody loved that site and they couldn't cut it right yeah i, th- I think their business model was flawed yeah, yes. but this is like, this is always a thing, like the, the never-ending search for the business model that's going to crack the code to like what I think is ultimately, like not to sound like an arch-capitalist, but it's like, to me, it's a supply-demand issue. And you mentioned before, it's like, there's a lot of people want to write about politics or blog about politics, but sports, it's entirely different. Like people are so dedicated to teams. There's just this wall, this mountain of daily sports content. And it's impossible to sift through. And so as a consumer, you know, you you don't care where this stuff is coming from. It's like... If there's an interesting thing on Grantland, I'll read that. If there's an interesting thing on on Deadspin, like there was this great article about, you know, a, a major newspaper screw up where they, you know, published all sorts of profanity like back in the <laughs> 80s. It was really awesome. Never heard the story. It was totally fascinating. But it doesn't mean I'm going to visit Deadspin every day. And it's not like, and this is my my issue is that I don't know that this problem is solvable now. It's like, I feel like the, the, the cat's out of the bag a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm speaking for someone who's left industry a bit so like i feel like i don't have to be optimistic it's becoming anymore. very very like, it's becoming very very fragmented very yeah. very niche yeah so i i can understand as somebody who does this for a profession why you would want to start something entrepreneurially in the hopes of it work but fr- from the point of view of your of your readership why do you think they need what you do like what are they getting from you that they can't get elsewhere <laughs> i don't i guess they like what i'm writing i mean it, I, I wasn't 100 sure when i left and put everything i was doing behind a wall and put it online if people would embrace that idea or not, but they did. I mean, I think that one of the mistakes the papers are making is leaving so much content out there for free and not making enough revenue off of it. I mean, it's, I didn't used to believe that, but I do now, especially as advertising rates have cratered the way they have. I always believe that. Yeah, well, you were right. You were right. <laughs> it drove me nuts because imagine the Blue Jays. I, this is the, the, the example I give to people all the time. So imagine the Blue Jays said, well, if you come to us and buy a ticket, it costs this much but if you order that ticket online it's free mm-hmm. right no one's going to go to the box office everyone's going to order the ticket online yeah, and get it, it for free and but then then the blue jays when that happens can't complain and say well what happened to our gate revenue dude you know what happened to your gate revenue you started giving the tickets away don't act like this is a mystery but you're just you're you're, you're describing the problem with the news business itself absolutely yes where companies say well okay if we don't offer it for free 
there's no shortage of like the exact same product people can get from well, the competitor. You gotta, you gotta create something else then. You gotta create something someone will buy. Right. Well, you, you have yes. to distinguish it somehow. Yes. Back to my question. How are you distinguished? Yeah. What is that? Like, I don't know that it exists to be honest. In like, a sea of free stuff where, where, where it's almost like a problem of like, where do I even begin? Richard, we're doing it. I mean, we have enough people sign, like we're self-sustaining now. We're like we're paying our bills. So like, it's not undoable. What we're doing differently is we have a very young staff, younger than in, I would say any newspaper sports section in Canada. Uh, we're very analytical. Two of the most recent people I've hired were working for NHL teams, and one was a video coach, one was an analytics guy. We're kind of trying to provide a much different perspective than, I mean, frankly, a lot of the really old school print sports writers are providing. But it sounds like you're describing like a quality play, like you're just doing yes. it better. We're trying. But right. it is different too, though. I mean, it is like our audience, more than 80% of our subscribers right now are 35 and under. Like we're drawing from a very, very young audience. Right. It's a tonal that, that, that it's not your father's sports section. Yeah, I think so. I think that that's accurate. I think uh -huh. that there's a big demand. Like if you look at the hiring practices for newspapers in Canada and sports sections, there's been hardly anyone hired that's under 30 in a Canadian sports section in a long time. Yeah, either like 20, <laughs> 20 years. Yeah. And there hasn't been hardly anyone hired under 40 in a Canadian sports section in a really long time. Yeah. So it's different coverage that I think a lot of the papers are providing. And you're doing it, like your model is that it's it's very localized. So you're, you're offering it to cities. You'll yes. cover their teams. Yes. So where are you now? Chicago, Toronto, Cleveland, San Francisco, Detroit. Uh, we launched in Montreal on Monday. That's weird. That's a weird, I mean, I guess it's- We're your, targeting where we can, we feel that there's opportunity. Yeah. So it's uh, geographic borders don't matter so much as the market isn't being served. Can we offer something that isn't? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. The, the guys uh, who hired me and who are in charge are in Silicon Valley. This is venture capital funded. They're extremely bright guys and they've done market studies on all of the sports markets in North America and where- looked at how fervent is the fan base and how good are the teams and how weak is, is the media in the market? How, how much has it been hurt by all of these factors? And they're trying to find where the best opportunities were. So they started in Chicago uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, we launched in Toronto in November of last year. And then we've just been adding other markets where we, f we feel like we can win. And what can you tell me about how many subscribers you have or what revenue is like? How much of that information are you? Uh, there, well, I mean, I can say what's out there publicly. I mean, Bloomberg had a piece on uh, the company uh, a few weeks ago and Toronto, we're already over 10,000 subscribers in my first seven months. And that's enough for us to sustain. People pay $45, $50 for the year. Yeah. Most people are paying up front for the full year. So that's allowed us to to pay our bills and, and get to break even point quite quickly. Yeah. Congrats. That sounds pretty encouraging. And a, a bit of a exception to the larger industry trend. Richard, you freelanced and you were, and worked on staff. You worked for various places for many years. Mm -hmm. You've, you've left. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out of the game. Yeah. I mean, it was just, you know, I have two kids and, and, uh, you know, security is always on my mind. And, and uh, it was just, I think it was hard on the family to constantly ask them to like, all right, well, I'm, you know, gigs would change all the time. And it wasn't like I had trouble finding work. I had a lot of work. I was actually really busy. The issue is like the scale was, it was so pathetic. And that's like, you know, there's this great piece that came out on, from Deadspin targeting um, Sports Blog Nation, which is owned by Vox. And, you know, <clears throat> a lot of their pay practices, which were pretty bad um, from my experience, but not like alien at all, you know, paying like full-time editors and expecting like waves of content from them on, on covering individual teams. They get like $600 stipends for the month. And this uh -huh. is what they're expected. Like, even if you had a full-time job, when are you going to find the time to, and, and they, and they would get, um, if they couldn't produce this, you know, wall, wall of content, uh, then they would get, you know, shuffled on. So, so like, that's sort of the brutal line, but I mean, this is sort of, to me, like on the outside, this is where the industry is going. And I, I pray that something like the athletic will work, like not maybe now, but like three years down the line, it get, it's, it's growing and sustainable and, and hopefully slightly, slightly more diverse in terms of the number of, you know, voices there. So that would be great. But I mean, I'm just, I've, I've just been doing this long enough that I'm, I'm slightly skeptical uh, because I've heard these, you know, I was at the score and, and we became a spinoff company it was the same spiel. Like we're going to, we're totally disrupting media. We're, we're providing content that no one else is providing. This is a niche. And, and I think that there's a market for that. Like I look at Patreon and there's definitely individual sports writers who I, I think are able to piece together a bit of money, like as a hobby to, to sort of do it on their own for, for a while. But as a full-time career, I don't know. Like 
I wrote this really depressing piece on Medium when I left, sort of saying like swearing people off the business because I just don't, I don't see it as a sustainable career option. Well, you know, there is a time when you can kind of look at something objectively and just say, well, magazine writing in Canada or freelancing in Canada, how much, how many words are there being sold? How much space is there? How many jobs does this provide? How many people are already in the industry? How many people have been laid off this year who are now competing with the newcomers? And uh, I've spoken to many journalists who just look at it and say like, this isn't a matter of opinion anymore. Like this isn't sustainable. Well, it frightened me because, so before I decided to sort of try to get a full-time job, I was looking at, you know, like Fox News fired all their sports writers. Like uh, ESPN, ESPN had massive layoffs. Vice. Like uh, Vice, like it was just uh, yeah. Vice had a kind of grand opening, grand closing with their sports coverage. Yeah, and like to me, it's like when Brian Phillips uh, used to write for Grantland. It's like probably one of my favorite sports writers, and it's the guy I used to I used to write for his site back in two thousand seven. When he lost his job, I was like, all right, I can't, like, this is not, <laughs> if he can't have a job in this in this industry right now, like, who are they going to? And I don't know, I don't know what people want. Like, I know what I like to read as a sports sports fan, but I just don't know anymore. I don't know where the money well, what is. What people like, forget, too, is, like, what we like to read isn't necessarily exactly. what the same as what the broader audience wants to read, because we're still all journalism nerds, right? And, and the buttons, the stories that push our buttons aren't necessarily the same as the stories that push other people's buttons, but you what you've also seen in this industry is just like a hollowing out of the the sports writing uh, middle class, right? The sports media middle class. So What's have, that? What is that? So you have well, you have people that uh, make a ton of money, right? These are your people that are that are on ESPN that, that they write, but they also do a lot of TV, a lot of radio, and they make a lot of money. The personalities, yeah. yes. They might be writers by trade, but they go on the debate shows, yeah. right? Like Skip Bayless was a writer. He's making millions. Like Stephen A. Smith yeah. was uh, the pay exactly. scale has like a lot of. Yes. It, it's kind of like the one percent debate. Yes, that you see in and the then US. everyone uh, everyone else gets squeezed out, and then at the very low all end, all the aggregators. The, yeah. Yes, yeah, the, so, the SB Nation people that want to pay you six hundred dollars a month for a full time job, those jobs are always available. Yeah, to you. they don't pay anything, but it's all the people in between that want to try to make a living. And if if your only thing is that you are very good at the craft. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Right. That could that could still get you laid off. It doesn't matter. Right? Are you, and and when you're talking about the people in between, so there's an aggregator, if, a site that's just picking up other stories, and then somebody who's a bit of an on-air personality. In between that is sort of your your standard daily newspaper sports writer, just do like practicing. Yeah, like a guy like me, I've I've just been dodging bullets and arrows <laughs> for you're, the last. 10 you're years. an endangered species. I suppose. Yeah. Are, I'm just, are you a staff uh, writer yeah, I'm, for the Toronto I'm just, Star? I'm just, I'm just very elusive and very versatile. Okay. Right. I'm not stupid. Like I said, as I've seen the layoffs. Yeah, I've seen people in other shops get laid off. I've seen people in our shop get laid off, and I've see, uh, and I see who's making the money, and I see who's staying employed, precisely because they don't make or demand a lot of money, right? And it's those of us in the middle that are always in danger. Yeah, if you're a star, you're 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 drawing a big salary. You've got your fan base. Absolutely. If you're a newcomer, you're cheap. But if you're in the middle. Yes. Yeah, it operates by power law, like definitely, because like like with the internet, like once you sort of smash the printing press and anyone can publish, it's like then it, yeah, it's definitely it, it it operates on a power law for sure. So like this tiny percentage of people will make it and and make it sustainable. And how is you know sometimes you know you you look at the uh, the destruction of the middle class versus uh, how's the economy doing overall? I'm always amazed. Of all of my little interests, even like I'll go to a concert of some band that I like, and I'll think, okay, this is a big crowd. And then I'll go once every five years to a sporting event and I'll realize, oh, the stuff that I'm into is nothing. It's the most esoteric, like, look, this is mass media. Mm. The only time I'm around that many people is in a, a sports stadium. I think this stuff is still the most popular aspect of culture I can imagine. How is sports writ large doing? Like, as as sports media suffers, is the industry thriving or is it facing the same kind of the challenges? The sports industry? Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's doing great. I mean, revenues keep going up. So, I mean, they keep charging more for tickets and people keep paying and the valuations on teams are, especially in hockey, I mean, the valuations on teams have gone through the roof. So yeah. they used to charge, 17 years ago, they used to charge for an expansion team 70 or $80 million. Now they're charging $500 million. I mean, that's the scale has changed so much. And the broadcast deals, especially in the NBA mm-hmm. is like, and in soccer, it's incredible what... But the debate now is, uh, you know, pe- so people talk about live sports properties as sort of TV's Alamo. It's like, this is, if we can just right. sort of stake our claim yeah. on this, because this is one thing where, 
you know, you can't you can't get a rent. But even the the Premier League, so they had this massive deal uh, with Sky Sports and BT Sports that was like record breaking and led to this, you know, all these like I think it was like Watford is it has more money than you know than Inter Milan, which used to be one of the most famous most money clubs in Europe. And because of the the Premier League struck its own individual rights deal in the UK, they now have more money than a lot of the biggest cl- like former biggest clubs in in these le- in leagues in in Europe. So that's been this huge influx of money. And on the surface, it looks oh everything's great. Like these small clubs have a ton of cash. Like it, it, there's a ton of money in this game now. But I think the issue is is like. I, I don't think that there's much room left for growth uh, yes. in the size of these rights deals. Absolutely. Yeah, and and uh, the other issue, and that I think is sort of the elephant in the room that only now people are starting to understand, is that it's literally impossible for these rights holders to stop the increase in quality of illegal streams and the ease of availability of those streams. Like, the piracy problem. Exactly. Uh-huh. And I think that's going to be the defining factor. Unfortunately, the cr- criminal thing, but I think that will be the defining factor in limiting growth for, for not just... Right. I mean, if you go on Reddit... I can go on Reddit and within seconds I can find uh, crystal clear H like high definition live streams of the NBA, the NHL, the EPL, like so isn't this just a Netflix solution of like getting the pricing right and making the app? Cause it, that's starting to happen. Because yeah, yeah, there's tons of you, you can subscribe right to this team yeah. or that team or this service or that service. And a real sports fan would probably be spending hundreds of dollars a month. But if you give them like a, you know, I don't know, $15 or all you can eat past everything, right. maybe that would. Some of that, I mean, you can do some of that already in terms of you can get like the Game Center and stuff like that. But did you see that like the Disney announcement? Most people thought of it in terms of Star Wars and Marvel movies. Yeah, I was whatever. thinking about it in but terms of Disney ESPN. Owns e- Disney yeah. owns ESPN. They're creating their own streaming service. So they're that, like Netflix for sports. That, yes. that's going to be the yeah well because they had to because um you know rights fees cord cutting's killing ESPN yes. and Fox and that's why yes. uh, that's why the sports writers are losing their jobs is because of all this that's where all the revenue's coming wait, from. wait, wait a minute wait a minute James you mean it wasn't because of ESPN's liberal agenda I don't think so <laughs> no lost. what are you talking about <laughs> oh yeah that was... so when ESPN started laying off all these sports writers conservative sports fan Twitter and Fox Sports to their 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 explanation. Uh, for the impetus for these layoffs was that ESPN was losing money and alienating viewers because too much of their programming and too many of their commentators had this uh, liberal bias and liberal slant and were, were, were pushing this liberal agenda. Okay. Yeah, everything's um, a left And this is the same network that just had a fantasy sports show where they were literally auctioning players and it looked like a slave auction because the guy had the, the <laughs> Antonio Brown's face had the had had his face and was calling out to all these white guys to see what? who would pay the most money for it, a- Antonio Brown on his on his on his fantasy sports team, right? Yet there's this alleged point is the the the, the liberal for a second there, your world was making sense, and I'm like, okay, that's a, there's aspects of my world, and then, and then I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking. <laughs> no, and yeah, the point is this this alleged liberal bias was never you know the driving factor between yeah behind ESPN's decision to, to lay off all these people is the fact that so many people are cutting the cord and ESPN too was able to build their $6 a month into the cable packages of people that weren't even watching ESPN so people started wising up to this and when they cut their cable package all of this passive revenue dries up and then ESPN says we got a problem because we still owe the NFL X and X number of dollars we still owe the NBA X number of dollars for these rights fees because rights fees only go in one direction for the most part and that's up where yeah. can we cut right yes. right can I ask an impolite question when you look at these pressures and stresses and how hard it is just to do this job when you talk to people who are covering news you know politics, what's happening in city council, you'll hear a lot of high-minded talk, well, yeah, I'll suffer these disturbances in the industry and I'll, and I'll suffer through a very difficult freelance career, whatever it might be, or layoffs, because the world needs journalism and citizens need to, <laughs> they need to know what's happening at City Hall. People don't need to know what's happening with sports. And, and I don't mean to again it's it's an impolite question well, i mean we, I, lo- we love to do this i mean that's, yeah. that's the answer is is that where you're going like a little bit like i i i know of like cultural critics who are like this is what i do i i write about i write about music to that point like this is what drives me nuts about the, like i cannot stand and i think it's i used to think it was a north american versus your problem but i think it's like universal like the highfalutin tones which we cover sports and like this very rigid like you write a gamer this way, uh, you conduct yourself this way, like when you're covering a sports team, you write in this tone. And there's this very like 
heavy conservative feeling. And I think like one of the reasons I find myself coming back to sites like Deadspin all the time is because there's this this understanding that like it's sports. Like that doesn't mean like it's goofy and irreverent. Like you can take it seriously, but you also don't like this highfalutin tone as if we're on Capitol Hill covering, you know, the yeah. liberal party or something. <laughs> it's just, it, I find it really undermines the audience, like the audience. And I find it's just like limits how interesting and, and the angles you can take in that kind of writing. So again, a parallel because Deadspin, of course, by uh, published by Gizmodo Media, formerly Gawker Media. And I think that the, the conceit of that site is we're going to do to sports what Gawker did to the stuffy. Yeah. Yeah. But they do ever like they sort of managed to pull off what even Grantland couldn't do, which is like to seamlessly pivot into politics or seamlessly pivot into like anytime Grantland did it, it felt like a little put on, uh, I guess, because those the Steve or the, the Bill Simmons factor. But but like they just, you know, I, I just find that they've sort of tossed aside this like uh, sort of highfalutin ideal of what sports writing is supposed to be and I, I just find it's, it would be so great if there was a little more of that you know even in conventional conventional media because yeah, it's changing the voice and I think that that's part of why we've succeeded is that people want a different voice they want the voice of the fan like we want to inject some of that into what we're doing yeah Morgan, what about what you're doing? I mean, this is something that goes back like city newspapers and the sports section is like, that's an institution. It's a point of connection between papers and their readership. Where's it at now? Where's it going to be in five or 10 years? Oh, well, I, I don't know that I'm the guy to be answering that question because I'm not in charge. I don't get to make those decisions, right? When, we, when we're talking <laughs> okay. about, you know, why this needs to get done, part of it is just that sports, aside from being a set of games people play, one, are also a big business, but two, they're just part of daily conversations that people have with each other. So if you're a publication, you want to sustain this daily conversation with your audience and build a relationship with them. Sports is a very good way to do it. Um, now, where this is headed in the next five years, ooh, that's a that's a heavy question. I think a lot of it depends on whether other shops do what The Athletic is doing and say, hey, you got to subscribe for this online content because we just can't be giving this stuff away and depending on advertisers who have more options than ever. Mm-hmm. That's just, that's not smart, smart business. And if, and if, if thinking that way weakens, you know, the entire publication, then obviously the sports section suffers too. And then a lot of it has to do with a couple of things. One is that ever since I became a professional journalist, right back in 99, 2000, like I swear to God, every sports editor has given me the same goddamn lecture. <laughs> Right. How's it go? Goddamn. I'm 40 years old. Don't give me this goddamn lecture because I've heard it before. You know, we can't just go out and cover the games because, you know, by the time we publish, everyone's already shut up, man. I've been hearing this for it ain't new. I've been hearing this right for two decades since I was 22. Now I'm right. 40. Don't talk about this. Let's just do it. Because the other thing is people lecture you on that, but they still wind up doing the same thing the same way because people don't want to try something different. How does the lecture end? You got to get to the story behind the stats? Yes. You, you got to tell hearts? a different story. Yeah, dude, I get it. I get it. Uh-huh. I but get it's it. so no just, one so does just it. Let, so then just let me we do it. We don't do game stories. Yeah. Right. We don't, but it's not we don't just cover not games. doing gamers. It's like... You know, it's like everyone, it drives me nuts about analytics writing, which is like, oh, there's all these fancy stats now that we have. And so people just seem, well, I'll do a traditional gamer and I'll add a few like metrics out of the That's like the opposite of the human story, right? That's like turning it into like a stock market thing. Yeah. But to me, there's like this fascinating story. Like like I've done some, a few interviews for an unrelated project on like, there's all these little clubs all across continental Europe and the UK, these smaller clubs where these, these tremendous local community experiments are happening with like how we run teams, like how we get local players, like what we're, what they're doing differently. And I haven't read about those, like the stuff that I've figured out, like I've read about through industry professionals, not media, these stories, these amazing stories, they're just not being told by anyone. There's like this little club, I can't remember the name in, in Spain that, that basically um, managed to get from like the third division to the first division. But you know, th- that story has been celebrated, but the actual mechanics of what they did, you can't read. It's like sports business, you know, mm. like I find there's all these other aspects to, to the game that, that people just leave on the table because they just see this is the way that we cover the sport. I don't know. I don't know if that's clear at all. But I just feel like there's a, there's just a lot of stuff that could be done that's not being done right now by the people with the resor- resources to do them. There's so much there. Like, like uh, James said, they don't cover games. Cool. And like we had this rule at the Star for a while. We're not going to put game stories on the front of the section. Cool. The problem is like you can, you can talk for days and weeks and months about all the stuff you're not going to do. Uh-huh. But you don't get better by not doing stuff. You got to, you, what are you going to do? Yeah. Right? So what are we as an industry going to do? You know, at, 
legacy print media has, have done have done such a horrible job of building a relationship with their audience, with their potential audience, with their desired audience. Um, and that filters through the whole organization, but also to sports. And there's just this disconnect between what the audience actually wants and what we think we're going to give them. We think we're going to tell them what they want, mm-hmm. but they're telling us what they want and we're not listening and we're not obliging. And so when you talk about how this industry has to change in the next five years, well, it's one thing to talk about different voices. It's one thing to talk about what you're not going to do. It's another thing to get different voices involved. And it's another thing just to do it. I remember when I first started covering baseball since 2009, an old editor, you know, he didn't really want me to have that job, but I got the job. And he was really trying to intimidate me about baseball. Right. And every time he would tell me this, like he would drop his voice half an <laughs> octave to tell me how serious Morgan, the culture of baseball is very spe- is very specific. I don't know if you can adjust to the culture of baseball in between. It's not hard to read between the lines. I was 32 and I and I'm I still am black. I was black then. I'm black now. <laughs> right. And what he meant was, you know, the old white guys cover baseball better than yeah. someone who doesn't understand the culture of baseball so I was like okay cool I don't understand the culture of baseball you know what sue me because I got the job so (laughs) there we go and what I was able to do covering baseball was whatever you learn the culture quickly it's just like anything and it's just the same as covering courts which I had done for a couple years but the other thing was because I wasn't married to the culture of baseball I wasn't married to doing things the same way that everyone else had done forever and also I would just go talk to the guys no one else would talk to you know why because I speak Spanish and the old white guys don't and I would just go talk to guys and you get a whole you get a whole different bunch of stories and stories that read differently, stories from a different point of view. If you're willing to do that, I just don't know, like across the industry, are we really, really willing to do that? Are we willing to diversify entire newsrooms and sports departments in particular and race and gender as the audience diversifies? People talk about it. Yeah. Let's see who's willing to do it. Well, that's an interesting point, too, is the audience diversifies. So it's not about bringing in a diverse group of people and then saying, okay, conform to our culture. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So people talk about all kinds of stuff. Let's see what people are willing to do. Guys, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks thanks for having us. That was your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. You can email me and let me know. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com and I read everything that you send me. I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. We post our stories there, but you know what? A lot of people get their news from Facebook. And if you want to get our news on your Facebook news feed, all you have to do is like us on Facebook. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Tickets just went up for a live show October 15th in Toronto. We are closing Hot Doc's second annual podcast festival. I will be interviewing Daniel Dale, reporter Daniel Dale, reporter who covered Rob Ford and who is now fact-checking Donald Trump. We are going to be discussing whether facts and truth even matter anymore on stage at the Hot Docs Podcast Festival. Check out their site or ours for tickets. They're going to go pretty quickly. Today's show was produced by Russell Gregg, syndication by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. They make the show available for free to dozens of community and campus radio stations across this country. Back with Shortcuts on Thursday. If you like what we do, please support us. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.